it's often, if you, if you don't have time to read a book, it's often helpful to read the beginning and end uh, to get a sense, sense of, I'm not recommending this to any of my students, but um, it's helpful to read the beginning and the end to get a sense of, of what the book is saying. And so uh, with this encyclical, it, it might be helpful to uh, look at the beginning and end first to, to understand uh, Pope John Paul II's reasons for issuing this encyclical. So first, let's look at the end, and it's Fetus et Ratio, I mean faith and reason. It's, uh, if you have the handout, and so if you look at the, the end of the encyclical, it's often illuminating to find out uh, what date a pope issues an encyclical. Oftentimes, maybe a particular feast day or in commemoration of a encyclical that was issued 100 years ago or 40 years ago. And so it's often helpful to find out what uh, day the Pope decided to issue the encyclical. So in this, for this particular uh, encyclical, Pope John Paul II issued it on the triumph of the, of the cross. And so at first you, you sort of wonder why did he release an encyclical on faith and reason on the feast day of the triumph of the cross? But if you think about it, it is in the cross that Christ fully revealed God to us, his love for us. And as it says in God, it says in um, Vatican II, Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father, and his love fully reveals man to man himself and makes his supreme calling clear. So Christ, in, in revealing God to man, also reveals to man his supreme vocation. And I also like this quote from Pope John Paul II. He says, Jesus Christ is the answer to which every human life is the question. But the cross... You know, you, you hear of the scandal of the cross. It, it, it seems to be unreasonable. And so uh, I thought it would be helpful just to go through these categories. You have non-rational. So uh, something that would be non-rational would be out, outside the bounds of reason. So actions of animals would be non-rational. So a dog barking, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just working on instinct. Irrational is against reason. So you may have heard of um, the, the, the puzzle, uh, can God create a rock so heavy that, that he could not lift it? You know, if he's, if he's completely powerful, can he create a rock so heavy that he cannot lift it? Well, there's an illogic there. It's, it's irrational. Or you, in, in mathematics or geometry, you can't have a square circle. It's just, it's not rational. So that would be examples of irrational. Rational is something that is reasonable. So uh, a willed act of, of, of a human person is something that's rational. Uh, music, using the walls of uh, principles of, of rhythm and sound, uh, music would be some, another example of something that's rational. But then this last category, you have something that would be supra-rational, something that goes above and beyond the order of reason. It's not contrary to reason, but it goes, um, it, it's, a, it's a mystery. It, it goes above what uh, mere reason can, can com fully comprehend. And that would be the, the mystery of the cross would be super, super rational. It would be something that goes beyond um, our, our own uh, simple explanations. And so I think for these two reasons, uh, the, the showing that in the cross, Christ fully reveals um, man to himself, and then also the fact that the cross is goes above and beyond uh, reason itself. Okay, so that's the that's the end of the encyclical. So let's now go to the beginning. And I love this is probably my favorite um, lines in the encyclical. 
and maybe of any encyclical that Pope John Paul II issued. Because it's so rich in, in meaning, and uh, remember, Pope John Paul II was a philosopher pope. So in, the, in these two lines, he incorporates uh, several references that some people may not pick up, but he, he references Aristotle, he references Plato in these, in these few lines. He says, faith and reason are like two wings on which the human spirit rises to the contemplation of truth. And God has placed in the human heart a desire to know the truth, in a word to know himself, so that by knowing and loving God, men and women may also come to the fullness of truth about themselves. So, in the opening lines of the Metaphysics, a book written by Aristotle, he says, all men by nature desire to know. So it's, it's something that is planted in our nature, to, that we all have that desire to know the truth. Augustine also has this great quote. He says, I have met many who have wanted to deceive, but none who wanted to be deceived. So none of us wants to be deceived because we all desire to, to know, to know the truth. And so we have this reference to Aristotle, but we also have this um, reference to Plato. And, and the, the one to Plato is a little more subtle. He, uh, Pope John Paul II speaks of the two wings. And I, I, I think this is a reference to uh, the book of uh, Plato's Phaedrus, which he um, talks about the nature of the soul. And um, I can't go into the whole uh, uh, philosophy of Plato, but very simply... He has this analogy for the soul being a, a chariot with two horses. One horse, uh, very spirited, yet, yet the, the rider can control that horse. The other one is out of control. Uh, so the, the chariot, uh, the, the individual that's guiding these horses is the reason. And the, the, the spirited horse, the one that is controllable, is the will or the heart. And then the, the one that is out of control is the passion. So what Plato says in the end, the, the horse, the black horse, the passions, ends up going out of control. And the soul that was um, in, the, in the, the world of forms, Plato calls, uh, the, this other world, the soul falls out of that world because of this unruly horse, and he falls into the world. And he, in a sense, loses his wings. But what Plato says is, um, through a contemplation of beauty, he re the soul regrows his wings so that he, he reascends to, to the heavens where he was before. And so, Pope John Paul II uses uh, the, the, the story that Plato uses in, in his book and uses it to say that faith and reason are like, are like these two wings. Because both faith and reason have the same goal and or the same goal in mind to to um, achieve and obtain truth. Uh, they 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 approach it in two different uh, uh, ways, but they the ultimate goal is is one of truth. Okay, so that is sort of the, the, the reasons, some of the reasons for Pope John Paul II issuing the encyclical. He, he saw there was a situation today in the world uh, that is wrought with relativism, subjectivism, uh, nihilism, and there was a need to reemphasize the importance of reason and the ability of the human person to obtain the truth, the ability that man has the reason, the power to be able to uh, obtain the truth. And so we can just now look at some of the goals of the, of the encyclical. So the last encyclical that really spoke about faith and reason was Pope Leo XIII's uh, attorney Patris, which was a call to the church to reemphasize scholastic philosophy, in particular Thomas Aquinas, uh, not to single him out as the only type of philosophy, but to highlight his, his approach to philosophy and theology as a, um, sort of a model for other philosophers, other theologians. So... 
it's it's um, Pope John Paul II is 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 issuing this encyclical sort of as um, commemorating uh, the anniversary of Pope Leo's encyclical. But as I said, he also Pope um, John Paul II wants to reemphasize man's ability to um, seek and find truth. And it's it's ironic that the church, who is often criticized as being an enemy of reason or an enemy of, of science and progress, that it takes the church, it comes out of the church to try to um, safeguard the, the power of reason. That uh, there's many people in the world who are attacking the ability of man to obtain truth and um, attacking man's ability in terms of his reason, and it takes the church to defend that. And also, uh, another goal is to direct the individual, the human person, to his ultimate destiny. Um, amid the confusion and the, the multiplicity of, of opinions and, and truths that are proposed out there, uh, Pope John Paul II says, Individuals often lose their way and either get distracted or misguided, and they lose focus. And this encyclical is, is trying to redirect the human person to his ultimate destiny in life. And in that, and in doing that, that gives meaning to to life as well. And then, both on philosophy, on the side of philosophy, and on the side of theology. What the Pope wants to do is, is to emphasize the importance of, of each and to safeguard uh, the, their proper roles. So in, in terms of philosophy, he wants to uh, encourage philosophers, and it, sort of a subset of this would be scientists, since uh, these series of lectures are then primarily um, in terms of science and religion, but to to encourage um, men of science, men of uh, philosophy, to say that you do have the power, um, the ability to uh, discover uh, truth and to understand more about the world. And that will ultimately lead you to higher truths. Now, on the side of theology, he wants um, <coughs> theologians and, and people in general to avoid the two uh, extremes of rationalism and fideism, both heresies. Rationalism says that, or it exaggerates the rational capacity of man um, to the extent that it, it denies or ignores the possibilities of miracles, it, it denies revelation, it denies mystery, denies the supernatural, it denies faith. And so in the end what rationalism says is that man is on his own. It, it, he only can use his reason to reach truth and that there's no role for faith in this, this journey to truth. Fideism, on the other on the other hand, was a, a reaction to rationalism. This was all in the 19th century, primarily, but you, we still have uh, proponents of both in today's world. Fideism says that reason is uh, very very weak, and that it cannot obtain these 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 truths um, that. God needs to reveal not only the supernatural truths, but even uh, natural truths that we could reach that that um, that people can reach by the reason. But uh, what Phineas say is that it's uh, simply through revelation that we can obtain truth. That reason is so. Um, mired in error and, and weak that it cannot do anything on its own. And so what Pope John Paul II wants to do is to say that you know, that faith and reason should be together and, and in theological pursuits uh, a theologian not only um, delves or accepts 
the revelation in faith, but he also delves deeper into those truths through the use of his reason. Okay, then he all, Pope John Paul II also wants to address some of the dangers uh, that he sees out there, including uh, eclecticism, historicism, scientism, pragmatism, nihilism, and postmodernism. Just point out a few here. Um, historicism is um, it's it's historical relativism, basically that. Truth does not have universal validity, and it's not uh, lasting for all ages. That it all depends on the period, the historical period that you're speaking of. That a truth may be true back 500 years ago, but that truth no longer holds for us today. Scientism says that uh, science is the only route to truth that other ways uh, of, of truth are not valid, that only true knowledge can be obtained through the sciences. Nihilism is denial of our true humanity, denial of meaning, denial of uh, true purpose. It's, it's really a, it's a despair, really. And then postmodernism is looking at its reaction to modernism, which um, had, was a very optimistic approach to reality, that reason can discover uh, many things about, about the world. And postmodernism became disillusioned with that. And uh, in, in postmodernism, you see, a, once again, an absence of meaning and where anything claimed or any truth is, is simply provisional. It, it, it's not meant to, to be um, a certain truth or an absolute truth. So uh, not to take my own words for um, his goals, but um, I want to quote from Pope John Paul II himself. When a group of American bishops visited him in the same year, 1998, that he issued the encyclical, uh, Pope John Paul II said, quote, I wish to defend the capacity of human reason to know the truth. This confidence in reason is an integral part of the Catholic intellectual tradition, but it needs reaffirming today in the face of widespread indoctrinaire doubt about our ability to answer the fundamental questions. Who am I? Where have I come from? And where am I going? Why is there evil? What is there after this life? And then he goes on to say, the violent history of this century, referring to the 20th century, is due in no small part to the closure of reason to the existence of ultimate and objective truth. The result has been a pervasive skepticism and relativism which have not led to a more mature humanity, but to much despair and irrationality. It's interesting that he mentions a mature humanity because uh, Pope Benedict XVI um, picked up that uh, similar language in uh, the mass at uh, the conclave uh, before he became Pope. As Cardinal Ratzinger, he, he, um, he's reflecting on in the Ephesians where St. Paul says, uh, you are no longer infants, but you must um, be mature in your faith, and so not be swept aside by all the various trickeries and, and opinions out there, but to hold fast to your faith. And so Cardinal Ratzinger says, we should not remain infants in faith in a state of minority. And what does it mean to be an infant in faith? St. Paul answers, answers. It means tossed by waves and swept along by every wind of teaching arising from human trickery. He goes on to say, Every day new sects are created, and what St. Paul says about human trickery comes true with cunning, which tries to draw, draw those into error. Having a clear faith based on the creed of the church is often labeled today as a fundamentalism. Whereas relativism, which is letting oneself be tossed and swept along by every wind of teaching, looks like the only attitude acceptable to, to today's standards. We are moving towards 
and this is a famous phrase that was picked up after this homily, we are moving towards a dictatorship of relativism, which does not recognize anything as for certain, and which has, has as its highest goal one's own ego and one's own desires. Uh, just a side note here, I was, I was fortunate enough to be at St. Peter's at, at this Mass, so I remember, it was in Italian, but um, I, I sort of remember uh, him reflecting on St. Paul. I didn't get all the, I didn't translate dic dictatorship of relativism, but uh, I read it later, so. <laughs> okay, so... These are some of the goals that um, Pope John Paul II had in, in issuing the encyclical. Now, it might be helpful to look at sort of the context, uh, looking at the historical intellectual currents that led to our current situation. <coughs> and so, um, if you look at your handout there, First, you have the two cities, Jerusalem and Athens. Uh, as I said before, Jerusalem is, is the symbolic city of, of faith and revelation because uh, both the, the Jewish and Christian tradition uh, arose out of Palestine. And so uh, you have the figures of, of Christ, uh, the apostles, the church fathers, and then the, the primary texts arising out of that tradition being the, the Bible, the Old and New Testaments. And then Athens, on the other hand, is the symbolic city of, of reason. And in Athens, you have figures like Aristotle and Plato, uh, really the fathers of philosophy, Pythagoras, the father of mathematics, Hippocrates, um, the father of medicine, Ptolemy, the father of astronomy, Homer, Father of Literature, and, and so the major works out of here, you, you could um, really say Aristotle's works and Plato's works um, had more influence than um, a lot of these other figures, but uh, so you have these, these two cities, these, these two traditions, and they come together in the early church in the first few centuries. And remember the famous quote from Tertullian who says, what has Jerusalem to do with Athens? Meaning, why as a believer do I need to bother with trying to reason about um, the truths of the faith? You know, what does Athens have, have uh, to offer Jerusalem? But what we see is uh, the church takes on uh, the 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 philosophies and, and reasons of, of Greece, of, of, that, of that tradition, and did not shy away from that, uh, but incorporated it into its theology in order to uh, better understand the truths of the faith and also to um, use that uh, logic to communicate the faith to others. And so we see in the Middle Ages a real synthesis of faith and reason. And the, the, the figure that is, is sort of a model for that synthesis would be St. Thomas Aquinas, who was both a philosopher and a theologian who was able to bring uh, the two together in a, in a beautiful way. But then, as time goes on, in the late uh, Middle Ages, uh, theology and philosophy start separating, going their separate ways, and uh, both... Uh, create uh, sort of their own autonomy and moving forward now, and then um, well you also had um, a reaction in the late middle ages you had both the reformation which was uh, an attempt to uh, go back to simply the, the tradition of Jerusalem the, the um, emphasizing revelation over uh, the tradition of, of Athens and, and reason, using reason, and, and wanting to simply go back to the pure form of, of, of the faith in, that you find in the Bible. On the other hand, you have the, the rebirth in the Renaissance of trying to go back to the classical tradition and, and bring that tradition um, back 
in, in, and then in some ways to the detriment of, of the other, the, the tradition of Jerusalem. So moving forward, uh, the, the scientific revolution comes along and it um, uh, changed a lot of things in terms of not only astronomy and physics and cosmology, but a whole new way of looking at the world. And that led to the Enlightenment uh, to some degree. The Enlightenment was a very optimistic period which overemphasized uh, the role of the reason and the, the ability of the reason. And it, it also in the Enlightenment, it overthrew, overthrew ancient authorities. And so it, what the Enlightenment said was, uh, we are better than the ancients. We can, we can um, do better than them, and we, can, we look to the future for, for um, uh, truth, and, and progress will, uh, will be continual. Whereas in the Middle Ages, they, they were humble enough to appreciate that there was, there was truth in the ancients, not only in the, the Greek tradition, but uh, in scriptures, um, that there was truth to be had in the ancients. Whereas in the Enlightenment, they ignored the ancients and felt that they could progress along so that they could create this better world. What time was that? The Enlightenment was uh, like 1700s, uh, basically started the, the 1700s all the way up through the French Revolution. And that brings us to the French Revolution. It's, it's, it's said that the, the French Revolution and then also about this time the Industrial Revolution were the, the two midwives, so to speak, of the birth of, of the modern period. Because the French Revolution overthrew um, many of the, the conceptions um, surrounding the political order and the Industrial Revolution changed so many things in terms of the, the social order, in terms of uh, labor and, and workers' relationships with their employers. And so now we, uh, we come to the modern period. And during the modern period, particularly in the 19th and, and early 20th century, we have a crisis in rationalism. They, the Enlightenment was, uh, as I said, a very optimistic period, thinking that the re reason alone could solve all a man's problems and it could um, discover all the truths that the universe um, could give. But in the modern period, or in the, uh, in the 19th and 20th century, there was an increasing fear and distrust of reason, not only because of the, the, um, the sinister aspect that um, science often had in terms of its ability to, to turn on, on its creator, on, on to turn on, on man and, and destroy him. So um, I just used two examples of, of the, the Nazis and the concentration camps and the atomic bomb. So you had this crisis in the modern period, and then um, now we're, we're some historians of, uh, of uh, intellectual history say now we are in the postmodern period, which says that it's a reaction to, to modernism and that there's a disillusionment uh, of man's ability, uh, man's reason to obtain truth. There's a speech. Uh, 1994 by the Czech Republic president Václav Havel, and he, he defined the modern world as uh, basically five centuries from the discovery of America to the first moon landing in 1969. And then it says Havel gave a hopeful description of the subsequent postmodern world as one based on science, and yet paradoxically, where everything is possible and almost nothing is certain. And that, that really describes the postmodern world in, in, in a few words there, where everything is possible and almost nothing is certain. And so in this atmosphere uh, where there's, there's no certainty, Pope John Paul II wanted to reemphasize the ability of man to use his reason and the ability 
um, or the, 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 the fact of, of revelation and the ability to uh, use faith to uh, bring us to higher truths as well. Okay, now just want to go through uh, the encyclical itself and just um, hit on some points and uh, try to summarize in a few words. So, uh, first section, know yourself. And this is a, uh, it comes off of the, the temple at the, um, uh, of Delphi, the Oracle of Delphi in, in Greece. On one side of the temple it says, know thyself. It's in Greek, not in English. Uh, but um, so uh, the Pope is just reiterating, reiterating again that every individual has this desire to know, and that it's it's something that's intrinsic to our nature. This 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 desire to know more about ourselves, the world, and our destiny. But at the same time, he mentions that there's a, a deep pessimism. Um, about the ability of reason to obtain this truth. There's agnosticism, skepticism, relativism, and he says that uh, there's this emphasis on the limitations of human knowing. And so he takes up this challenge to, to reemphasize that man um, does have this ability to, to know himself. Now he says the first, um, what, what comes primary is God's revelation. And that's in chapter 1 where he says that through revelation, God reveals, fully reveals um, the truth about ourselves. And so in beginning with revelation, with our faith, we can then use reason within that context of faith to discover uh, who we are. And then the, the next two chapters, Credo Intelegam, I believe so that I may understand. The Pope here says, um, uh, reemphasizing the, the role of the cross again, he says the true key point which challenges every philosophy is Jesus Christ's death on the cross. It is here that every attempt to reduce the Father's saving plan to purely human logic is doomed to failure. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the learned? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So the Pope says that the cross, it, it is a scandal, um, but that it is God uh, revealing himself. And, uh, and in revealing himself, he also reveals um, our destiny and, and he reveals ourselves to ourselves. And so if, um, the Pope here is saying we need to begin with our faith and then, uh, but not simply uh, remain there at our faith um, because we would just be simply fideous. But we need to delve deeper uh, use, using our reason to understand more deeply the truths of the faith. And then the next um, Latin phrase, until they go, credam, I understand so that I may believe. Here again, he says uh, the, the, the mere search for truth is a preparation for the gospel because a person who is searching is implicitly already um, a man of faith because he's, he's searching for truth and if he searches long enough and deep enough, he will um, come he will come to a, a better um, realization about himself. Now, of course, the revelation and the faith is, is ultimately a gift from God, so um, certainly not everyone that searches will necessarily come into the fold of the faith, but the mere fact that someone is searching is, is already uh, a man of faith. Okay, and then um, in chapter 4, the Pope goes through this history that we already went through, the relationship uh, between faith and reason. And here again, just noting uh, the sad separation that we see in the early modern period when 
Um, in the Middle Ages, you had this synthesis of faith and reason, and then slowly through historical circumstances, you had a, a separation. And because of that separation, first you had a loss of faith in, in Western civilization, and then uh, later you had a loss of reason. Um, that, uh, that uh, people lost a sense of the ability of reason to come to truth. And so in chapter 5, the Pope says that the magisterium, the teaching arm of the church, has that role to play to safeguard uh, the, 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 or to safeguard truth, that the magisterium is this guardian of truth. And so that when there are errors out in the world, the church needs to point them out and um, uh, tell, tell the world what they are and to, to guide um, people in the right direction. So it is the, the, the purpose of the magisterium to guide uh, people to the truth because the church is, is supremely interested in truth, whether it's, it's in terms of science or in terms of faith. It is, it is interested because... All of it um, refers to the human person, and the church, um, more than any other institution, is a guardian of the dignity of the human person. And then, uh, just in uh, closing, the, the, uh, what he mentions um, the interaction between philosophy and theology, that those involved in theology those studying for the priesthood, uh, those in religious life, they, need, they, they should not disregard philosophy. They need to um, use philosophy, incorporate that into their theology, because um, here again, when theology is, is standing on its own without philosophy, it can uh, devolve into a mere uh, superstition, or a myth, even. And so... Um, on the, on the flip side, those involved in philosophy should also be open to the higher horizons that theology offers to the philosopher. And then, just in closing, um, the Pope uh, concludes by pointing out uh, how reason supports faith and how faith supports reason. He says, uh, there, and there's four points basically for each, that reason prepares the way for faith. So, as, as some apologists, church apologists have said, the, that reason is a preamble to the faith. That in apologetics, you can use the reason to um, um, point out errors or arguments against the faith. And that the Catholic faith is not contrary to reason. And so then the second point, reason is able to make revelation credible. <clears throat> and so here again in uh, apologetics, reason is that bridge between believers and non-believers that uh, a non-believer may not immediately accept uh, what you believe in faith, but in using reason a non-believer may be able to come closer to, to the faith. And then the third point, without reason, faith is left only with feelings and experience. And so, also without reason, faith loses its universal uh, uh, aspect that it's not universally communicable to, to, to people. Because without reason, uh, once again, that you, you can't use that bridge to reach a non-believer. And then uh, the last point, philosophy provides a language for theology. So you can see this uh, in so many truths of our faith that uh, from the nature and person of Christ, um, those are philosophical terms. Uh, that you have one person, two natures in Christ. Uh, in, the, in the Trinity, you have three persons yet one divine nature, uh, such terms as transubstantiation, uh, as 
explaining that in terms of substance and accidents. These are all philosophical terms, yet it uh, is in using philosophy you're able to shine light on these truths of the faith. So in terms of how faith supports reason, uh, as it says, the pride of revelation, reason can go off course and lose its destination. And then the second point, faith proposes truths that reason, unaided reason could not um, ever come to on its own. So, uh, like the, the, the fact of the Incarnation. Reason alone could never come to a knowledge of that truth. So faith proposes certain truths that reason alone could not uh, reach. And then third point, faith gives the philosopher uh, the ability to address difficult questions. So questions like in terms of uh, evil or suffering, faith is able to propose these difficult questions so that the philosopher um, can address those. And then lastly, faith uh, protects the philosopher from pride. Um, the philosopher knowing that not all that he knows is comes from him, that some he accepts on faith, but some truths come through revelation. <clears throat> And then just the last point, uh, the Pope really wants tries to emphasize that both scientists and philosophers should not lose what he calls the sapiential dimension. <laughs> Meaning that science and philosophy is not simply about obtaining empirical data or um, obtaining a, a technological expertise about the world, but both philosophy and science should have this sapiential dimension, meaning it should uh, push us fur further toward wisdom. That's what sapiential means, wisdom. That we should have this desire to obtain wisdom. wisdom. And uh, certainly, science and philosophy can, can aid us in that journey to wisdom. Okay, just um, in concluding here, as I said um, on the handout, in the, the Jewish synagogue, you have uh, two basic rooms. You have the, I, I can't pronounce Hebrew, so Jewish speaking or Hebrew speaking people here, forgive me. Beit Ha Knesset and Beit Ha Midrash. Knesset is the place of, of prayer, Midrash is the place of study. So, in the time of, of Christ, he would have gone into a typical synagogue, and on one side is where uh, the Jews would pray together. That would be the Knesset. And then uh, on the other side would be the, 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 the books, the, the Torah, uh, the, the writings, the scriptures. And that, that would be a place where individuals could study. And so you have um, all in one building the, the, the place of prayer and the place of study, faith and reason together. And you also see that in other um, architectural designs, like, for instance, I don't know if this is universally true, but I know in many Dominican priories, they build their priories such that on one side you have the chapel, and the other side they have the library or study, and then the refectory or the where they eat connect the two so that um, you have the life of prayer here, the life of study, and they commune together um, over food. And so... Um, Christianity was born out of that Jewish context. So from the very beginning, you see faith and reason together. And so uh, once again, uh, this, this warfare thesis um, of faith and reason or science and religion being at uh, war with one another 
is, I think, a, a, a complete falsehood. And it was actually um, something that was created in the, the 19th century um, as an attack against against the church. To, and they came up with a lot of myths. And actually, this is a handout uh, that I thought was, was a good... Uh, uh, handout to point out a lot, a lot of the myths that you often hear, like the flat earth theory that you often hear with all the medievals, they, they didn't understand the world, um, they believed that the world was flat and that you'd fall off the edge. Well, that is just total baloney. Um, you often see that in uh, sometimes in textbooks even, uh, which is shocking because Obviously, uh, from classical times, they knew like when a ship would go over uh, the horizon that it would would fade out of sight. Or uh, from an eclipse, uh, the, the the lunar eclipse, uh, they could see the Earth's shape on on the moon. So uh, that that's one. That, and then it just goes through. Um, he talked a lot about Galileo, uh, some of the, the myths surrounding him, as well as uh, uh, myth surrounding Darwin. So uh, you have a lot of myths out there. So what I hopefully have tried to do in these three lectures is try to debunk some of those myths and to point out that uh, faith and reason and science and religion um, have a lot uh, in common in their search for truth and that uh, there is a, a real compatibility there, and that uh, no believer should be shy of of science or or be afraid of of, of the findings of science or anything like that, because uh, as I said in an earlier lecture, it comes from the same source, God Himself. You have the Book of Nature and the Book of Scripture, and uh, both come from God and. Uh, and therefore, there, there's no uh, conflict between the two. Thank you.